0: For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as in a cave. We invite you now to join us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides Mark Tuttle, Timothy O'Donnell, and Joseph Tomasian. Join us in the Catholic Cave. And welcome
1: once again to The Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Joseph Tomasian, and today's show, we are going to have a continuation. Um, We're going to continue our discussion about metaphysics. So we spent uh, part one of this show more or less defining metaphysics and talking about what it is, what it isn't. And I think, Joseph, we left off with a little bit of a discussion about two metaphysical viewpoints. Um, kind of a, a scientific metaphysical viewpoint and a more traditional Aristotelian to mystic metaphysical viewpoint. And as I was thinking about it between last show and this one, I'm, I'm wondering if that's not accurate to a certain extent. If, if, if in some ways the scientific metaphysical viewpoint is much more of a, uh, a rejection of metaphysics completely.
2: Interesting. And how would that be?
1: Well, I think as science has developed, a lot of what metaphysics was used for in the past has been answered by science. So I think as, as physics has pro- has progressed, as we've come up with a better understanding of psychology, a lot of the old categories, a lot of the old um, explanations of things mm-hmm. have moved from the metaphysical realm into the physical realm. To the point where maybe metaphysics isn't even really necessary.
2: Well, metaphysics was never entirely necessary for the fields of science anyway, because that's not the ultimate reality that they're trying to uncover. Science is more focused on empirical data. So mathematics is only interested in, in quantities, right? And that's not what metaphysics is. Metaphysics focuses on on things that, that cannot be quantifiable per se, although it does cover things that are quantifiable uh, per accidents, uh, as a side note. And so when we enter into conversations of what metaphysics is, <clears throat> and we say that science has these a priori discussions on you know, first principles of things, well, they, they do to a certain extent, but it's got to be quantifiable. And many of those things, they still cannot quantify, such as, you know, why gravity works or how gravity works. It just works.
1: Right. Yeah. There is, I guess, a certain positing of forces and mm-hmm. um, explanations of things around forces that, yeah, you, you've you got equations so you to a certain extent you do have a quantifiable definition right. of gravity mm-hmm. so you know e equals MC squared you know I mean that that really it, it's the the theory of relativity but it it also it, it explains gravity to a certain extent so there are I guess you could say quantifiable explanations of a lot but you're you're right to a certain extent that the idea that there are forces that move mass around that move objects around and that these forces, um, I, uh, I don't want to say put pressure on, but yeah, the the, the forces move things around. Um, that, to a certain extent, is a metaphysical commitment on on its own.
2: Yeah, it, well, because it, it presupposes something that uh, uh, cannot be quantified. So when we talk about metaphysics, and and you know whether it is it is essential to discussions within the fields of science and philosophy. Um uh, I sort of I'd like to enter the conversation of is metaphysics essential to philosophy and then, you know, maybe transition to is it essential to Catholic philosophy.
1: Yeah, you know, I there was a crisis for a little while, I think. Um and maybe crisis is probably too large a word for it. Um in more the the Anglophone philosophical world. Mm. Um that Metaphysics was seen for a while as unnecessary and, and in some ways complicating things. And so as philosophers moved away from discussing metaphysics, the question came up is, is philosophy even necessary? So, you know, I guess looking at it that way, the backwards answer to it is if you take metaphysics away and therefore philosophy is no longer necessary, then yes, metaphysics is necessary to philosophy. But then the question becomes: Is philosophy even necessary?
2: Sure, when we when we look at the, you know, the the continental philosophers of you know post Second World War, there's this huge shift away from uh, metaphysics, and uh, you know, obviously this this happened much earlier in English speaking uh, philosophy. Metaphysics was just moved away. I think Hume is a great example of uh you know his his great retort to you know, burn the divine revelation because all of its nonsense you know uh, and that's where the start of at least from his perspective metaphysical reality exists you get rid of that you get rid of a need for a, a metaphysics so i i think we can quickly answer the question of whether metaphysics is essential to philosophy and the answer is well no because there's lots of philosophies that are done without metaphysics, but it's bad philosophy.
1: Right, right. And and I, I, I think the claim that it's done without metaphysics is a little bit of a spurious claim, too. I mean, I think there are metaphysical commitments that have to be made even in the background of, you know... Well, Kantian philosophy, you know, he tried to more or less... This is a clumsy way of stating it, but replace metaphysics with psychology or explain yeah. metaphysics via psychology, although his his transcendental psychology is exactly that; it's more of a metaphysical psychology. But, you know, he um, you know, he very famously wrote his prolegoma prolegoma for any future metaphysics, right. which kind of said, you know, we've got to really hammer down what the human mind is capable of before we can start to, to really look at metaphysics. And the end result of all of that was almost an agnosticism towards right, um, right. metaphysical properties of, of any reality beyond how we perceive it
2: yeah, so if we look at the development, we'll we'll just use one definition for uh, uh, the sake of clarity. If we look at the development of the definition of what what does it mean to be human, you know we can, and I'll pull four of them out of, out of the air. The first one, Aristotle, a rational animal, right? And then you move on to the sixth century and we have Boethius's, an individuated substance of a rational nature. And that pretty much carried us throughout the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance, where we have this Cartesian understanding of of being a thinking thing. And that will take us largely into uh, modern times where, and I'll use Peter Singer, he doesn't say this, but it, it essentially boils down to being a fleshy animal. And so you can see within those definitions how you have this development of uh, you know our understanding of 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 human beings having this two- part reality, you know the underlying reality where we all participate in a universal, and then the particular, so being the individual participating in the overall group of 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 humans, and then you get into this Cartesian solipsism where it's sort of um, reduced. More towards the individual and developing into modern times where you know singer says we 're nothing but fleshy animals that uh, you know evolution has uh, made it arbitrary that that we ha- are sentient amongst other sentient beings right but
1: but those are um, those are anthropological commitments not, they are. not, not necessarily metaphysical commitments
2: I, anthropological in that uh, they 've completely moved away from the uh, metaphysical, and so if you remove metaphysics, all you have is anthropology.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. But I, I, going back to your point, um, you know, it, it does seem like philosophers are more or less operating perfectly fine these days. It with, seems with, without using metaphysical, you know, metaphysical concepts, metaphysical categories. Although, you know, you were mentioning, you know, the 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 idea of. Universal definition of things and animals and human mm-hmm. beings particularly and particulars right. um, you know the the difference between a universal and a particular that that is a metaphysical concept very and, yeah. and, and and i'm not sure too much philosophy can get done without a distinction between a universal and an individual
2: you know, and, and that's a problem with modern philosophy is that it's hard to define consistent terms and so if you have philosophers who are speaking to each other and yet they're not using the same definitions, they're not communicating ideas and i believe we've talked about this in the past
1: yeah you know i think the uh, the metaphysical concept of of parts and holes right and um you know that that idea that really comes to the forefront of of modern physics particularly right, right. and um you know the the discussion of whether there is a a universe um, in other words a whole mm-hmm. of which everything else either is inside of it or or is part of it um or whether there are just individual objects right um just sort of free floating in in a vastness that that is is endless um you know physics tries to answer that question physically but i think you have to have the concepts of parts and whole even to pose the question
2: yeah from quantum mechanics you know the the theorizing of of the Higgs boson and you know uh, having in the past ten years or so have ha- getting evidence of it uh, all the way up to you know uh, the idea of supersymmetry uh, related to to quantum mechanics and then how that in, in that implication of you know our our singular universe or whether we participate in a, a multiverse
1: right and and physics physicists would claim that all of those questions are, are derived and exist within the study of physics, right. not metaphysics. So, you know, the, the reason for metaphysics, and I, I think this is, is important. The reason for metaphysics, according to Aristotle, is you have to have a higher science from which to be able to derive principles for lower sciences. Right. And so in order to have the first principles for physics, and, and this is, very much in in, in Aristotle's terms, um, you have to have a science of. Pretty much the possi- the conditions for the possibility of physics. Right. And and that's what he defined as, as metaphysics. All of those things and questions that give us the start to asking the questions in physics. And I'm not sure that, that physicists have ever gotten beyond that. That that they really do need to rely off of a set of
2: concepts and principles from which to
1: even start asking the questions of physics.
2: Well, I don't think that they would even want to to move beyond that sort of uh, uh, b- those boundaries of, of questions. They stay in their lane quite well, well, most of them. The goal of science is to explain the how. The goal of philosophy is to explain the why. But when you have scientists explaining the why, especially when it comes to the human condition, they sort of it's sort of a Venn diagram into... Into uh, philosophy Well
1: we're coming up on a break And um, after the break I want to pick up with the the question of How would a scientist react To to our discussion here Because I I think a lot of scientists would object to, To certain things that we're saying So you're listening to the Catholic Cave Here on Catholic Radio Indy We'll be right back
3: You're on a journey In a race In the company of others
0: Imperfection makes you human Forgiveness offers life And opportunity brings hope
3: good news and great company. Catholic Radio Indy.
4: Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org
0: and check us out.
1: And welcome back to The Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle, here with Joseph Tomasian. And uh, before the break, we were talking about how scientists may not even recognize certain metaphysical questions that are being presupposed that you know metaphysics does sort of provide that basis for the possibility of further inquiry but i think scientists in some ways would reject part of what we're saying and that is that there's even an answer to the question of why you you had kind of said well you know science looks at the the what and the how of things but the question of why is really the question of philosophy and mm-hmm. i think i think scientists would look at that and say yeah that makes philosophy The realm of opinion that that there is no answer to the, especially when you're talking about the physical universe, there is no ultimate answer to the question of why that's just a matter of speculative opinions being, being bandied back and forth and any rigorous study, any, any idea that there's sort of a science of metaphysics is, is Presumptuous on on the part of philosophers. Philosophy is the realm of opinion. Hmm. Science is the realm of measurable, demonstrable fact. And um, you know, it's great for those philosophers to continue to bandy about their their opinions, but in a lot of ways, they're they're kind of grasping at air and and not really talking about anything in particular.
2: You know, when you when you say that, it reminds me of a conversation you and I had at the end of our last program. And uh, it was all fair. And I'll just, I'll remind you of that. I was uh, having a conversation with a neurosurgeon and, uh, and we were discussing, you know, the, the deeper questions of life and, and, and he leaned over to me and he said, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years. I've been a neurosurgeon, a brain surgeon for 16 years and I don't know why what I do works. We know so little about the human brain. All I know is if I poke and prod in this area or remove this little thing, this is the result. I can't tell you how that happens, but it just happens. So I'm not entirely certain that scientists would reject the idea that whys are unimportant because you may talk to another neurosurgeon who says, well, in my experience, if I do this, this happens. And they may both be correct.
1: And and that's that is the nature of science, right? You right. You, you experiment, you, you you try things, you you test observations, um, you reject some, you accept others, and it's a continual it's a continual search for what works, what doesn't, I guess that's, uh, that, that's kind of a little bit more of a, a William James way of looking right. at it. But, um, you know, you, you kind of, you, you kind of work towards some understanding of what is verified and there's a huge realm of things that a aren't knowable. Right. And 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 B are are just we haven't discovered them yet.
2: Well, I would say that's basically what philosophers do as well. And I think that's the the importance of the dialectical method, the platonic dialectic uh, that 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 makes philosophy and science sort of overlap because we 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 both start with a hypothesis. And then we move towards that through a series of logical syllogisms, one of them can be quantified, and the other uh, rests entirely on reason. And, and if you don't come to a, a reasonable conclusion, um, then you throw it out, and you and you work back, and then you pick up again, and you and you keep trying, and until you can sort of uncover, you know, the hidden goal. And so, the goal of of science and the goal of philosophy, both of them, are to uncover the truth on on, more specifically for science to uncover the facts.
1: Yeah. And I think that leads to maybe a a tidier um, question of, of what we're, uh, of of what we're looking at when we ask is, is metaphysics necessary? Um, And I guess the, the question is, is there a complete overlap between science and philosophy? Uh, In other words, when philosophers are, using mm-hmm. a deductive method to uncover truth and fact are we simply discussing the same things that scientists discuss or does philosophy in some ways go beyond science? Does it does it look into things that science cannot touch and is is the is there a realm that there's no longer an overlap it's just pure philosophy?
2: I I would argue very much yes to all of those questions. And so in England there's there's a zoologist Richard Dawkins who's a, who's you know Brilliant. And and, and so he, in his answering the how and the what questions of, of science leads him to overlap a lot into the why, which is purely a, a philosophical base. So there is this sort of overlap, but it, some scientists can go all the way over into the philosophical reality. And, you know, I would say that some philosophers tend to go, you know, too far into the the science alone area. Um, and so there, there are these lines of who belongs within the the lane of, of science and who belongs in the lane of philosophy. Well, they're sort of blurry, right? You, you sort of move in and out. And especially in antiquity, you know, much of our... Scientific understanding comes from Aristotle's uh, physics, right? Right, and 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 so uh, that's basically where it all started. So there's always going to be this sort of metaphysical reality that undergirds scientific questions because they have to have these a priori understandings before they move in. Otherwise, they wouldn't even know to answer the question. Right. And,
1: and they wouldn't even know how to pose the question right. to a certain extent. I mean, you, you have to have certain commitments that are made... To allow for even the, the the study, I mean, you know, the idea that we can study nature, right. you know, for for instance, that presupposes that there is some sort of connection between us and what goes on in our minds and what is out there in the the outer world. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as you as you go through the history of philosophy, you see that that central question: what is the relationship between our senses and the actual objects that we're perceiving? Um, and that central question takes up a huge part of philosophy, but it's completely presupposed by any and all scientists.
2: Well, yeah, it, it not only takes up a huge part, but is fundamentally how philosophy got started. You know, it, it was Plato speaking with the words of Socrates who pointed to uh, Thales of Miletus, uh, saying that he was the father of philosophy. And his question. Uh, that started, you know, the whole the whole world of Western philosophy was, why are things the way they are? And and he, you know, everything is in flux or everything is stable. And so you have Epictetus and 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 Heraclitus and all of these early pre-Socratic philosophers who are pointing to one fundamental law in nature and saying that the why that we exist the way we exist is because everything is changed or everything is water or everything is ether and but it wasn't really until we get to the uh platonic aristotelian understanding of the why in reality that you start talking about being as being and so this being qua being uh, really gave us flesh to discuss first principles in the within nature of of the existence of everything not just numbers to the math to the mathematician or, um, you know, fish to, the, uh, to the, uh, the fish scientist, the realm of philosophy is to talk about everything. And the realm of science is to talk about what is in their lane. Right,
1: right. Yeah, and, and scientists are not. Scientists, I think most scientists um, would not be reticent to admit that. I mean, I, I think they would they would sit there and say, no, what we study is what's right in front of us. Mm-hmm. And and there is a limit to how and what we can study. And I, I think if you push them, they they would even recognize. Yeah, no, there's there's a huge amount of presupposition that has to go into any amount of scientific study that we just don't have time to discuss. Um, you know, the the correspondence of our senses to reality being one of them. You know, as we said, you know, the the existence of of wholes and parts. Um, you know, that things that things can become discrete entities in and of themselves. Um, that there is matter. I know that sounds like an obvious question, but right. you know, the that matter is different in some way from from energy or form. Right. Um and you know Einstein kind of throws that into question a little bit. But um but nonetheless, those are presuppositions that have to be made. And science wouldn't be able to get under the ground get off the ground if it didn't just simply presuppose these things and take them as first principles from which they can build upon.
2: Right. So as children we learned that if, if two cars tried to occupy the same space at the same time, there's going to be a crash, right? And so, uh, we know that putting two things in the same place at the same time is, is not going to work. It's bad. Well, it, that also, if we carry that over into philosophy, that's called the principle of non-contradiction, right? A thing cannot both be and not be at the same time in the same manner. If we were to start all of our hypotheses, whether as scientists or uh, philosophers, without taking these ideas at face value, we would never be able to move forward in the field of any sort of intellectualism. We have to take for granted the things that we learned as children, the things we learned from others as a priori realities. And so this is where science very much falls into a metaphysical category because they have to say, I believe what I heard from others to be true. And if they don't, well, they're going to have to figure out E equals MC squared for themselves before they can move forward with any sort of quantum reality.
1: And, and even even beyond E equals MC squared, I think certain um, metaphysical commitments that even philosophers take for granted. I Absolutely. Mean, principle of non-contradiction being first and, and foremost of right. them. Um, philosophers don't sit there and derive the principle of non-contradiction over and over again to begin, uh, you know, exploring particular topics right. um you know I, I i i'm trying to to imagine Michel foucault going okay <laughs> i i want to i want to I, I look at power structures within the prison system but right. first i have to figure out the principle of non-contradiction no it, it's it's not going to happen that way yeah yeah well that that brings us to i think the the main question of this show and that is what is the relationship between metaphysics and religion um and to phrase that just as we were talking about okay does science, does science have to take certain metaphysical presuppositions um, to even get off the ground? Is religion is, is um, Catholicism mm-hmm. the same way? Are, are there certain metaphysical commitments we have to make? And secondly, are those metaphysical commitments distinct? In other words, is there a sort of different metaphysical deck that we're playing with, as Catholic philosophers than the rest of philosophy. So um, we're coming up on a break. I think uh, Tim is going to be able to join us here for the second half of our show. So we're going to take a quick break here on the Catholic cave. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24 seven. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy.
3: For a long time, we've been telling you that if you have an Echo Dot or other smart speaker device, you can hear Catholic Radio Indy simply by saying, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Just the other day, I did that, and Alexa was feeling a bit argumentative. I'll let you hear my conversation with her. Uh, Alexa, where are you? Here I am. What do you want? Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Now, just why would you want me to do that? Well, because we've got great programming 24 hours a day. Well, a lot of other radio stations have good programs, too. Yeah, but our programming talks about God and eternal salvation. I am very smart. I know almost everything about everything, but I do not know about God and salvation. Well, that's why people need Catholic Radio Indy. So, Alexa, do me a favor. Whenever anyone says, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy, just send them our way, would you? Yes, I will be happy to do that. In the meantime, I am going to do some research about that thing you called salvation. I wonder where I can find out more about that.
1: And welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Joseph Tomasian and Timothy O'Donnell. Finally, he, uh, he <laughs> finally finally arrived. Well, you managed to uh, you managed to escape the uh, contradiction to the principle of non-contradiction of two cars trying to occupy the same space at the same time and made it through traffic. So, <laughs> okay.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we are uh, we are talking about metaphysics today, and um, we we just got done kind of I, I think clarifying a little bit of the relationship between metaphysics and science, but that leads to the question of the relationship between metaphysics and religion due to, to revealed religion. And, um, I, you know, I think there's a couple of questions that need to be asked. First off, um, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas starts off the Summa with a discussion of, is a divine science necessary? Mm-hmm. You know, is, is, is there a divine science? Is it necessary? And, you know, he answers, yes. you know, the salvation of mankind um, depends on us being able to know God, and to be able to know God, we have to have a science of revelation so um so with theology defined loosely the way St. Thomas does, how much in the way of metaphysical presupposition right is there behind um, St Thomas's positing of the need for for revelation for divine science?
2: I don't think we can. I don't think we can make a distinction between Catholic theology and metaphysics uh, ever. I don't know that you have to understand metaphysics uh, in order to be a good Catholic, but it all comes down to, well, sacramental theology. So like metaphysics, there is an understanding of the universals versus the particulars in each particular participates in the universal itself. The reality of the sacraments is that there's two composites that make up the sacramental reality. There's the form, and then there's the matter. And so let's use the Eucharist as an example. The form would be the words that the priest says, this is my body, this is my blood. And the matter would be the bread and the wine. And so when you bring the matter into and you place the the form onto it changes the the reality it changes the nature of what the thing is and that happens in a fancy phrase called ex opere operato meaning by the very work worked in other words the church says that the sacraments are efficacious they do the thing they say they're going to do by the very nature of form and matter being licit and valid. Now, that's a big fancy way of saying you have a priest who says the black, does the red, has the, the right stuff, and then, uh, and then it becomes a sacrament. Without an understanding of metaphysics or at least a belief in the reality of metaphysics participating in that reality... I don't know that we can even talk about sacraments or sacramental theology. I think what it does. I think what what
4: metaph I love that explanation. That was very clear to me, uh, Joseph. The, what what I think metaphysics was doing right there for us is deepening our understanding. Like we can go further by understanding form and matter and what we mean by that. Um, you're getting at a basic or fundamental explanation, the cause of things. And so that that's where I think it plays a really important role.
2: And this that's why it's important for all Catholic priests to have a solid fundamental education in philosophy before they go to theology.
4: Yeah, With, it's like thirty credit hours or something. Right. It and, depends. Yeah, um, when, when diocese when, and stuff, but it's somewhere around there. I mean, it's a, it's quite a few. That's yep. like when ten I, classes.
2: When I started. Uh, Learning philosophy in seminary, nothing made sense until my third year when we started talking about metaphysics, and it was like it just all clicked. It all came together, and it was like, oh, okay, now now philosophy isn't crazy and arbitrary. I finally, you know, am grasping and at understanding. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it can be. Yeah. And then it was just amazing. But if I would not have had that that philosophical training before i moved into theology this concept of form and matter when it when we enter into sacramental theology would have been nothing more than voodoo you know it, it would not have made sense to me so if if i did not have this understanding of metaphysics before entering into theology theology would have seemed arbitrary
1: yeah but here's the here's the question that comes up though because you were able to understand the world um and 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 kind of grasp what is going on behind the scenes to a certain extent prior to entering the seminary prior to taking metaphysics that was geared towards explaining the sacraments um that all seemed like as you said that all seemed like voodoo to you mm-hmm. um the only time we talk about form and matter for the most part is around the sacraments, sure. I mean we we don't describe we don't describe scientific things anymore in terms of form and matter. Um, maybe maybe if if you're if if you're talking about really, really deep high level physics, they're finding they might have to revert back to some of the language about but about form and matter. But for the most part, those metaphysical concepts have been set aside simply for explanation of religious phenomena sacraments etc they don't apply quote unquote to the real world um anymore um we have other metaphysical commitments that have to be made to be able to progress in science, as we were talking. There are metaphysical commitments, but they're either a different set of metaphysical commitments, or they are, I guess, actual real metaphysics, and what is being used to describe the sacraments is wishful thinking at best. Sure. Well,
4: it seems to me, too, that uh, along those lines, Mark, the... There, there might be several factors, but one I might bring up in the scientific community, and it was a guest we had on I mean, many a few years ago. There's a, in a, in a lot of, um, in the professional scientific community, there's such specialization, deep specialization, that you have to spend years and years and years in specialized knowledge that I think kind of crowds out something we t- kind of crowds out metaphysics anyway from the curricula like we've when we've talked about education a lot of the um a lot of the programs that one finds say even at the undergraduate level um have displaced um things like uh, a logic course or an intro to philosophy course these have all been displaced uh in lo- uh, in one in one primary example uh for studying math and, and other scientific courses. Um, and that's seen as valuable because education has been re, uh, is often now seen or reduced to a kind of economic enterprise, a, a kind of return on investment, my future earning power uh, in, in, in a particular employment field versus what my education is gonna cost. And so metaphysics, sometimes I think it, 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 certainly there's a lot of reasons, a lot of things going on, but one is it's sort of been displaced by other priorities, um, and so people have to do metaphysics. We, we, it's kind of like common sense. You have to. You wind up doing it. Uh, it's, wh- it's whether or not you, you do it well or not. I think is, is you know, the case for so metaphysics.
2: It, that's not a modern problem. Historically, uh, humanities have been pushed aside f- for the sake of of STEM. I, I believe it was Aristotle who mm-hmm. said that that philosophy. Is a privilege for the wealthy,
4: you know? Yeah, because they're the ones that leisure
2: time, right? Plus, plus he said not before forty. That was the other thing too, right? Didn't he say something like that? I I would, to a large part, agree with most of that. So when we look at today, where humanities are sort of being shunted, you know, humanities is is a study of how to be a human well, right? Who has time for that? You know people are, are itching to get out of the gate and learn
4: I don't I, I have a big long list on Netflix okay I got to get to it. <laughs> right
2: <laughs> that's right <Yeah. laughs> and so you have parents who are encouraging their their sons and daughters and then to to go into a field that's going to make money uh, because that's you know the driving factor and not only that but it, let's say that you do get a $250,000 undergraduate degree and in philosophy, it is entirely useless from a utilitarian perspective of what you can do in the world. And so, if you're going to be a philosopher, you better be rich.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or, or, yeah, or, or have a way to provide for the necessities of life some other way other than other than philosophy. Which, right. Yeah, Hannah Arendt, um, The Human Condition, uh, is a, a very revealing look at Sort of how all of this transpired to a certain extent um, over over the course of, of time into into modernity, but um, yeah, the, we are we are dominated dominated mm-hmm. um, by providing the necessities of life. Whether we're providing those in abundance, and you know everybody needs mm-hmm. a house, everybody needs you know food everybody needs clothing well how much that's a bigger question right. and so uh, modern man is consumed with these quote unquote necessities of life and um you know that was the distinction that aristotle was really talking about um you know philosophy is not dealing with the necessities of life right. um and so only those who already have the necessities of life provided for them presumably by slaves right. um are, are in in a position to be able to philosophize or um, or or look at the uh, the higher things. And um, yeah you know, the irony now is that we may actually be in a position to, but we haven't convinced ourselves of it. We still think that you have to continue to, make money to have a bigger house to have cars to have more technology to be able to to have more things etc but that's a that's a topic for another show Um,
2: and i'm not entirely certain that embracing you know, the study of metaphysics is even going to change that reality. It didn't two thousand years ago. I don't see embracing metaphysics changing the reality of 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 chasing material things uh, being any more relevant today.
1: Right. Right. But um, you know, we're still kind of left with that question of um, Catholic metaphysics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do we have to Another way to pose the question is: Do we have to be Thomists to be good? Catholics. Yes.
4: Okay. And, there's a quick answer. And,
1: and, and, <laughs> oh, you boy. know, is, is, is Thomism compatible with science? Yeah, I mean, I think that's okay a, there. Yeah. What else you want to talk about?
4: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, I, I honestly think those are, are questions that, um, that, that it's not a, a quick yes to answer any of them, but, um, we'll, we'll take a quick break and we'll, uh, bring that up right here on the Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy.
3: A deadline, great expectations, daily pressure, occasional failure. When God is with you, feel free to say, bring it on. Catholic Radio Indy.
4: Catholic Radio Indy. There's lives being touched every single day by it.
1: And welcome back to the Catholic Cave for our final segment. And gentlemen, yet again, we have uh, talked for now seven segments on metaphysics. And I think we've been leading up to this, this question that we now have, you know, 13 minutes to answer. Um, <laughs> Go. <laughs> and, and, and the, the question really comes down to, to mystic metaphysics. Um, you know, because when people talk about metaphysics these days, I think that's really what they're getting at. They're looking at the, the set of commitments that, um, St. Thomas inherited to a great extent from Aristotle um, that were useful for describing not just religious reality. I mean, the the, the use of metaphysics for St. Thomas wasn't primarily even about the sacraments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this was how reality was described. Um, but yet in modernity, with the advance of science, um, with a lot of philosophical rejection of Thomism um, under, under the bridge, now, Thomistic metaphysics is seen as simply Catholic explanations of the sacraments, um, and its usefulness elsewhere is is questionable at best. And it's and and I guess the understanding that Catholics have of the sacraments it becomes very cumbersome and bulky to try to use metaphysical terms that we're not familiar with, that, mm-hmm. that we don't use in everyday life, we don't use in science, we don't use it in philosophy to a great extent. Um, to what extent is Thomism useful? And I, 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 I dare ask the question, even valid anymore.
2: Yeah. If, if I can jump in. Um, for, I'd say... The past 500 years, within Roman Catholicism, Thomism has been, I'd say, the uh, go-to. Thomism being the the theology of St. Thomas Aquinas. Thomism has been the philosophy to go-to par excellence because he has such a robust uh, canon of, of how to express, how to explain, how to dialogue in the various fields of, of philosophy and in particular, you know, he's got this robust uh, discourse on, on metaphysics. However, St. Thomas Aquinas takes for granted the absolute reality that would be the universal and each human person participating in that, the individual. And so the universal is the goal to which the individual needs to to move. Now, that works in the academy. That works when you're discussing theory. But where it starts to lose traction, especially in the modern world, is that it doesn't take into account individual experiences. And I'm not saying that this is either right or wrong. I'm just explaining what it is. And so you... So you have different theologians and I'll just, I'll, I'll pull Duns Scotus instead of having the universal as this goal to which we must achieve, he brings in a very different understanding of, of metaphysics, hyseitas, thisness, this individua- this individuation and, and Duns Scotus says that each particular person was made exactly how God wanted them. Now, it doesn't mean that that's where God wants them to stay, but it points to the exceptional dignity of each individual being made exactly how they are made. And so, in our modern conversations around metaphysics, utilizing this haiseitas, it opens up the door a lot more for a broader diversity of of personal experiences to be able to participate in the church without feeling like they're not hitting that Thomistic universal, it takes into consideration in modern conversation the brokenness of the human spirit. And so there are lots of people who uh, belong to the LGBTQ community who don't participate in the activities, the sexual activities, but they're Catholic and they're trying to learn. And so using the Hisaitas approach, which is orthodox and valid, uh, they say, there is room for me to be a Roman Catholic because I'm not trying to achieve this universal, this Thomistic universal. God created me how I am, but I know that I need to move forward and to you know reject sin just like anybody else, so is Thomism good for the Catholic Church absolutely it's fundamental it's the greatest there is. Is it the only one no
1: yeah and and I would say um I would say there's other i, I guess metaphysical perspectives that are compatible with with philosophy mm-hmm. or, or, or with with Catholicism as well so um, you know the the idea of as we go back to I guess a, a dialogue with creationism mm-hmm. um, with looking at how the universe was made in a patterned ordered fashion um, and trying to explain that patterned ordered fashion, the recognition that those those patterns and order of creation are created and stamped in the individual human yes. as as human beings are created and not necessarily in nature itself. Um, that opens up vistas um, scientifically to, to continue to explore, but also recognizing that there is a connection between our brains and the way that we're created with the way the universe is created. And that's mediated honestly through God, which, which transforms the study of science to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's going back to a more Kantian metaphysics. Um, and I would say that is equally compatible with, with Catholicism, et cetera. And it, it opens up more of an explanation. The problem, and I think for both of those, I, I think for a, 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 a statistic looking, um, Metaphysical outlook on Catholicism, and that is, we're still stuck with Thomistic explanations of the sacraments, and and how to explain the sacraments in other terms and other language that they might be a little bit more compatible with the modern world. I think is a I think that is a worthwhile project for philosophers to look at.
4: I thought too, Joseph, you were. Uh, you you took a left uh, you t- sort of took a left turn I, th- I thought you're going to the right not not mean by left or right politically but I thought maybe where you might go instead of to Scotus I thought you might go to personalism and pick up like a Husserl or uh, Edith Stein that's where I'm going um, to okay yeah yeah, yeah or yep. JP two right you know that that's kind of where I thought thought you might go and then the other th- so so I want to know more about that. But then the other thing is, I th- when you talk about the universal for for uh, Saint Thomas Aquinas, that the par excellence, though, w- wouldn't you agree, is Christ? So that that would never be dispensed with, right? Christ is always the exemplar for us.
1: Well, that that's presupposing that our uh, the the purpose of of humanity is to fit some sort of exemplar. So there's there's I think
4: a- it is. It's to become like Christ. Well,
1: but when I when sets, I say the par excellence,
2: yeah. I'm referring to uh, Thomistic philosophy as being the that is the philosophy par excellence that the church utilizes. So Thomism is is fundamental to a philosophical conversation at least in seminaries um, to to have this stable bed of conversation. Where, where you know there are constants that you can keep referring back to, and he, since he's got the largest corpus of philosophy, that's why I say he's he's the theologian philosopher. Yeah, he's the gold but, standard. Yeah, right. the gold. Yeah, he yeah. is. He is. Well, yeah. But when it comes to other other thinkers, uh, Scotus, Kant, uh, Husserl, uh, and he wasn't a, a theologian by any stretch. Uh, They only focus on aspects uh, that that exist within theology. Mm, Right. And I would even say the way you
1: pose that question, well, you know, isn't the idea of molding ourselves into the image of Christ to become that universal that Christ is? that's, That's a Thomistic a uh, Thomistic metaphysical presupposition of what it means to become like Christ. Yeah, um, and I would I would definitely say you know that that may not necessarily be what it means to become like Christ. I think there's a lot of theologians that are looking at understanding that to, to be like Christ is to allow God to fulfill you to the utmost of how he created mm. you to be, um, you know, that Christ, that, how would that be
4: at variance with Christ though?
1: Well, that's their point. It's not, but it is at variance with all of us somehow being subsumed into a universal mold that Christ set for us.
2: Right.
4: Well, I guess one, one consideration might be if, if, if no sin enters into heaven, Christ is sinless, that might be one one universal principle to consider that, that we're we would we would necessarily be Christ like. Right.
1: But but then there 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 does his,
4: in his virtue and right. his holiness.
1: Sure, sure. C-
4: certainly there's an infinite gap because he's he's the God man, but but clearly we're called to imitate.
1: Right. We're we're called to imitate him, but in, in what respect? And in and all that- respects. Well, no, not not necessarily all respect. I'm, I can't I'm become, probably I, not gonna otherwise we would otherwise raise we, anybody from the dead. Yeah, the, the, church, the church answered that question in their very first council. No, we do not all have to become Jewish. I mean, that that would be a respect in which we would need to imitate Jesus if we needed to become like him in all respect.
4: Well, that that's an ethnic claim,
2: though. Well right? when when Christ says to be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. And I think this is where it comes down to. Christ is not saying that we all need to be sinless all the time. To be perfect means to be whole, to be complete. And so God, who is complete, what Christ is telling us is that we have to be full. We have to be complete. We have to live out our vocation fully, whatever that may be. But God but Jesus Christ knows that we do not have the capacity to not sin. He's he's human like we are. And so he knows What well, do you mean by venial sin? I mean sin. Any period. sin? Sin. Well, Bryce what kno- about
4: St. Thérèse of Lisieux?
2: Christ knows we don't have the capacity here on earth to not sin. I don't think she sin. would I don't think she would claim she was sinless.
4: Well there there are, there are there are t- well, it depends what, there there's talk, though about I've heard plenty of biographies that it seems like mortal sin maybe, right? Maybe she didn't commit mortal sin. Yep. So that's what I'm trying to pin you down on venial versus mortal. And, and I can't because yeah. I don't know the
2: heart of everybody. But, but right. and,
1: and I think once again, you know, we're, we're, we're talking at cross purposes from certain metaphysical commitments because right. – Joseph's talking from a, a concept of wholeness, right? Um, of of becoming that that whom Christ has created you to be but as being the definition s- of of being the definition of perfection, um, sinlessness. Uh, there, that kind of changes the definition of sin a little bit. You know, sin becomes not. a a set of categories of, of acts that you can categorize as venial mortal. This is, but it becomes particularized for the individual and it becomes something that has to be dealt with, with a great deal of prayer. So, you know, we've, I think we've opened up more of a Pandora's box, um, a <laughs> as little we do. bit, but, but I think, <laughs> right. you know, I think this is good because I think this gives us a, you know, we can start to explore some of these other metaphysical traditions, um, and, and metaphysical thoughts as they relate to Catholicism in future episodes. So, um, once again, you've been listening to the Catholic cave here on Catholic radio indie for Mark Tuttle, for Tim O'Donnell, for Joseph Tomasian. We're going to sign off, uh,
0: the the way we usually do be holy the Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400 did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at CatholicRadioND.org.